afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Notre Dame Stadium. Zivikowski trying to get to the outside. He has blockers in front. Time for Zivikowski. Belong to beat. Shakes it off. To the five and touchdown. And now it is down. It is over. And the Irish have knocked off number one Clemson. Brady Quinn looking. Pump fakes. He rolls to the near side. Throws it. It's caught by Samaja. Inside the 20. Inside the 10. He's going in. Notre Dame has scored. Jones is the back. He's got it again. And Jones a letter room. Tony Jones makes a cut. Gets a block. And scores. Is that the play that will seal the playoff bid for Fighting Irish? Welcome to Sunday Saturday Irish. I'm Tyler Rojack, and I'm joined by my co-host Luke Smith, as well as a special guest, our student writer Jameson Cook is with us today. Today's obviously going to be a little bit different than normal. The collective mood is still a bit somber, I would say, after Notre Dame lost their first home game since 2017, falling 24-13 to to the now number 5-ranked Cincinnati Bearcats on Saturday. Look, losing sucks, losing always sucks, but the first loss of the season always stings a bit more, and that feeling is only multiplied when you consider how poorly the Irish performed. So we'll try to make sense of it all today. We'll break it down by looking at the good, the bad, and the ugly because, well, it was just it was kind of ugly if we're being honest but uh all is not lost at least not in my mind uh there's still a lot on the table for Notre Dame to accomplish in this 2021 season and we'll get into that at the end um but to start Jameson I'll throw it to you because you were actually on the field during the game on Saturday so tell the audience a little bit about yourself and what you've been doing for the site and I'm interested to hear what your experience was like on Saturday being that close to the action yeah of course thanks guys for having me so yeah, I'm Jamison Cook. I'm a junior here at Notre Dame. I've been writing uh, for the site for a couple of weeks now. I have a couple of my takes uh, so far on the season, some of which we're going to walk back today <laughs> if I get the chance. But um, yeah, been uh, releasing an article or two a week up on the site. And uh, this past weekend, I was lucky enough to be on the field um, running some of the social media for, for the Fighting Irish. So it was great to be down there. Um, the atmosphere was probably the, the best, the loudest that I've heard it um, in my three years here so far at Notre Dame. Um, unfortunately, for some of the wrong reasons. But, um, yeah, I think the first in, the first uh, observation was just that it was very loud. I think the Cincinnati fans traveled um, incredibly well. Um, unfortunately, there was a big red section um, in, the, in the south end zone on Saturday. But I thought that our fans actually responded pretty well uh, to that. I thought that whereas in 2017 it really seemed to – seemed that Georgia fans completely took over the atmosphere. I thought that, um, at least from my vantage point, uh, the, the Notre Dame fans did their, did their part in uh, kind of responding to the noise made by those Cincinnati fans. I'm interested to hear what you thought from where you were sitting, Luke, but uh, especially on the north side of the stadium, it was, it was especially loud. So I think that was uh, a good place uh, to start there, but I think that when you got really more into the players and the coaching staff uh, themselves, there was a big disparity between um, Cincinnati and Notre Dame. I think it was pretty evident that the Cincinnati players and, and coaching staff really wanted to win more, and I think that was uh, evidenced by how the game played out on the field. Yeah, I'd have to agree. Um, I'll start with saying that I probably sound like an idiot, and I had a lot of people come out of the woodwork to tell me that after everything I said last week about Cincinnati, but I, I still kind of want to stand by a lot of that, and I have a couple of extenuating factors that I have no doubt contributed to this loss. Um First, we've talked at length on this podcast about how Notre Dame has not lost a home game or had not lost a home game since I started going to Mulligans at 2.15 the night before every home game. 
Pat Mulligan retiring to Florida and selling the bar doomed us. Um, you know, I like when I got to South Bend on Thursday, I had a really strange Uber that night. The guy was just freaking me out, kind of just said an ominous tone for the weekend. I'll put it that way without going into detail. We also had Joey Chestnut in South Bend, the hot dog eating champion for the game. Uh, and that guy guaranteed a victory to our friend, old Greg Berryman. And that cursed us. So as far as I'm concerned, Chestnut is not allowed in South Bend ever again. And I will actively <laughs> root against him moving forward. Um, and finally, I got to say, Notre Dame had a class of 2020 celebration set up in the spot in the joy slot where the orange fan usually tailgates. And shockingly, nobody was at that because, you know, the kids graduated a year and a half ago and nobody gives a shit by now. But it took the spot. Notre Dame doesn't think, doesn't think about messing with Mojo. I think that played a part as well. As for the atmosphere itself, I thought it was a pretty good atmosphere. It didn't rain during the game. Um, I actually had pretty good seats. I was right behind the Notre Dame bench. Unfortunately, that allowed me to see the team's body language, which for everybody not named Mayer, Buckner, Pine, Hamilton, or Hart was horrible. Like It was just really bad, I thought. Um, there was way too much red, not nearly as much as Georgia. And I also understand that there are probably more Notre Dame-Cincinnati connections than other places, so that helps to explain some of it. But I'm just tired of Notre Dame fans selling their tickets to the opposition. Though it was a top-10 game, I really didn't feel like it was. Like, the atmosphere... As good as it was, I just I never got that sense. I've been in that game for bigger for big games, and I, I, you just get a better atmosphere. I feel like I never got that on Saturday, and maybe that helps to explain the team who just did not seem that prepared for Cincinnati. Um, in a lot of ways, I felt like it was the Oklahoma game in 2013. There were just some horrible turnovers, very unbecoming of what we've seen from this program the last four years, and as a result, uh, the home win streak ends, bookended by Seas of Red. So um, that's kind of my overall take. I'm sure we'll get into this more, but pretty still still pretty dour about it. So um, before I go on too long, that's just kind of my overall take there. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I wasn't at this one. That was really frustrating. And even on the broadcast, you could hear the Let's Go Bearcats chants at multiple points in the game. They came out ready to go. I don't know if you saw this, Luke, at the coin toss at the beginning of the game. Notre Dame now only sends like one player out there. They sent Kyle Hamilton. And, and, and Kyron. And, oh, and Kyron. Well, the, the yeah. Cincinnati players basically were like, nah, don't touch me when Kyle went to shake their hands. And then he mentioned it on Inside the Garage this week. And just right from the start, you could tell that Cincinnati came in. They talked all week. They ended up walking it in the game. The crowd was electric. And it just... It was weird to see Notre Dame take a punch like that, um, self-inflicted punch, I guess you could say, at the beginning on that cone interception, and then just not respond to the rest of the first half. I know eventually in the second half, Notre Dame started to put together a comeback that uh, just it never you never really felt that confident, and it just seemed kind of fluky. Um, but I think that was the most disappointing thing. Like I get it when a team comes to Notre Dame. That's like a bucket list item for every opposing fan. They're going to want to make the trip. They're going to want to see their team play at Notre Dame Stadium. But I'm with you. Like At a certain point, Notre Dame doesn't have that great of a home field advantage to begin with because no. the average age might be like 65 in like 80% of the stadium. So that when you the remaining 20% is opposing fans who are way rowdier, like it just... It takes away. So, again, I mean, Notre Dame had won 26 in a row, so there's clearly somewhat of a home field advantage. But it wasn't all bad, though. I mean, it looks like Notre Dame might have a new quarterback, which, I I mean, we can get into that now. I know, James, so you want to talk about it. Uh, the good, um, what did you think of Drew Pine? Um, honestly, I think 
there was uh, just a little bit more of a buzz in the stadium second half when he walked out for that first drive. It was like a whole new energy had been um, injected into the offense. And I'd like to take the time publicly on there here to just uh, eat my words about Cohen uh, that I had put out there a few weeks ago. I just don't think he's the guy for this, for this offense. I mean, maybe last year, um, if he had last year's line, that would be a different story if he had time and time to survey the defense and pick it apart. But I think given the circumstances, um, I'm going to be pretty disappointed uh, in the coaching staff if, if Cohen walks out as the starter on Saturday. And honestly, if he plays another snap the rest of the season, I think that um, there's really not the incentive to go in all in um, anymore. Not to say that the season is over in any regard, but I think that um, the idea that um, we need to play Cohen to win the games this season is kind of out the window there. So I think that um, Pine just brings a certain confidence and a certain swagger. I think uh, the, the perfect microcosm of that is the, the Connor McGregor celebration after the, the touchdown against Wisconsin last week, but um, he's mobile. Um, he, he seems to be a bit of the right balance between Cohen's ability to pass accurately and Buckner being able to extend plays. So I think that um for me, the most noticeable difference uh, is when Pine throws the ball, there's there's zip on the ball. He throws it with confidence, whereas I feel like when Cohen um, is throwing the ball, there's almost like a hope and like a please be complete kind of behind the pass there. Um, so I think that um, that being said, I think Pine should be the guy going forward. I think he gives us the best opportunity to finish the regular season at 11 and one and go win a big bowl game. But um I think that that does present an interesting dilemma going forward because I think coming into the season, most people thought Buckner would be the guy next year. So obviously Pine's going to be around next year. Um, and I think that um, if given the chance the rest of the season, it's going to be interesting to see, to see where that leads. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, I, I have to kind of agree with you. I feel bad for Jack Cohn. I just don't think he fits on this team. And at this point it, it just seems like he's kind of lost all confidence. He, I don't know if he's been hit too many times or what it is, or he's looking over his shoulder, but it's uh, it's pretty apparent to me he doesn't have it anymore. And that's not to say he didn't make good plays in this game. He did, but it's just the mistakes far outweighed the, the positives there. And when you look at your other choices, I, I agree. There's certainly an energy there with Pine. That said, <laughs> he throws the ball like just lasers from five yards away. Miss, he's, he certainly missed some throws, and – when he's your highest rated offensive player going nine to 22, I don't know what that says about your offense. And then it of says course you bring up Buck- Well, yeah, it does. <laughs> I'll tell you. <laughs> uh, you bring up Buckner. I think he's got to play I, I, just like, just to get him some reps, but like, then you're still stuck in the same predicament you're in now where you don't have a quarterback. So I, I don't really know. It's going to be very interesting to see what goes on the rest of this year. You know, I, I saw some people saying, you need to play Buckner. It's actually a good thing Notre Dame lost this game now because um, they would have just gotten blown out in the playoff. That's the dumbest logic I've ever heard. If there's a playoff, I want to be in it every fucking year. Like, I, I just do. That's that's how it works. And um, do I think that this season is still salvageable? Absolutely. I would love to go to the Orange Bowl and just, like, dominate Iowa or something like that. But I, I just want to address it. I, one time after we lost to Clemson in the ACC championship, when I was really upset, I said, I hope we don't make the playoff. And then two hours later, I realized how stupid that was. It's it's just like the dumbest display of logic. And I saw somebody from ESPN say that to like Mike Golick Jr. And he would just basically call him an idiot. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I saw um, you always want to be in the playoff. That's why this loss 
sucks so much. I mean, I'm, I'm certainly, I kind of threw a temper tantrum losing, leaving the stadium, just like telling Cincinnati fans, they're still from Cincinnati. So no <laughs> offense to Willis pencil. Um, but, but uh, I don't know. I, I did not have a great experience, but I will say there are some positives coming out of Saturday. Um, I want to say Jay Bramblett, but I don't know how many times we can talk about the punter on this podcast. <laughs> We've done that enough this year. And that might say a lot about the state of the offense, but he had another really good game. Uh, I also kind of like the energy from the student section in the game. I don't know what this is with everybody taking their shirts off, but like, it's kind of hilarious. I find that certainly wasn't the case when we were in school. I think I wanted to like, just like get everybody to shut up in the student section when we were in school because I didn't pay attention to the game. So it seems like there's a more energized student section, but for my, I guess, biggest takeaway from a positive standpoint is Lorenzo styles having a big catch at a big moment. Um, he had a, catch for 14 yards on third and eight on the drive that ended with the Braden Lindsay touchdown to really get us back into the game. His brother, Sonny, who's a five-star recruit who looks like he's about 35 years old, was at the game. So I think it's good to see, you know, him have that moment in front of his brother because we really need to get him ahead of Ohio state. And also it's just good to see a freshman wide out one, get the rep and, and two step up in a big moment. So I, I think that that was probably my biggest thing in the moment. And in retrospect, I think that was the biggest net positive for me coming out of, out of Saturday, um, outside of Michael Mayer, which I know you want to get into, Woj. I do. But first, I want to talk about Drew Pine real quick because it is an interesting dilemma for the Notre Dame coaching staff because the timing of this kind of sucks because they obviously have a big game coming up this weekend at Virginia Tech and then the bye week. So in an ideal world, if you're going to have to pick a quarterback, you have to do it after this weekend and then have two weeks during a bye to prepare whoever they choose. I think we're all assuming it's not going to be Cone. It's going to end up being Pine. But I think it's still pretty much understood amongst the coaching staff that Buckner is the guy long term. But at the same time, if you play Buckner and he's not as good as Pine, what kind of message does that send to the seniors where it basically becomes clear you're punting on the season and that could lead to all sorts of problems? So I think, yeah, I guess Pine is going to be the guy. I still don't have a a ton of confidence in him. I think he's... A cool player. He's confident, and I like that. And I totally agree with all the points you made. And I, last week, I was, uh, I guess, a little bit hesitant to remove Jack Cohn from QB one. I think at this point, it just has to happen. But it's not a situation in like 2018 where Wimbush gets benched, Ian Book comes in, and basically unlocks the offense. I still think with Pine, we're going to have issues, and there's a reason that Cohn was the clear QB one. I think it's because in the way that. Um, the coaches talk about Pine and Cone and how easily he won the job. I I think in practice, Cone is is clearly the best guy. When he's wearing a red jersey, he's not getting hit. He knows how to prepare. But there's just something about Pine and the sort of moxie yeah. that he brings, his mobility. And you know what's funny about that? I'm just thinking about that as you say that. Because Kelly also had a really weird comment where he said Pine didn't impress them in practice the week leading up to the game, which I don't know why you would say that, but he did. But yeah. You know what we also heard all summer is that Isaiah Foskey doesn't look impressive at all, and we see him in the games, and he dominates. So maybe in practice, like the defensive line just doesn't really try, and that's why Cone just lights the world on fire in yeah, practice. Maybe. Like I'm just kind of throwing out theories because I can't think of anything else. Like why? Because it doesn't make any sense. Because we our defensive line is very good, but maybe in practice they're just like we already feel bad enough Nasty. for Jack Cone. Uh, we're not going at him. So I don't know. <laughs> All right, just to chime in real quick, I know you had said that it seems like Pine will be the guy going forward. Unfortunately, just like 
looking through Pete Sampson, who's a, a writer for The Athletic, his Twitter today um, comes out and says that the depth chart lists Jack Cohen as the starter. I wouldn't put any stock in that. Brian Kelly doesn't care about the depth chart at all. <laughs> I think he, I don't think he updates it one time during the season. It's just like, this is what it is. Right, he, did, he did go on to say that um, no starter has been named publicly and players will be informed today. Um, they're going to pick one quarterback and go with it, which is something I love to hear. But <laughs> just interesting, like we're saying, Buckner definitely needs to get reps. So how much can you really go with one quarterback going forward? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's a disaster. <laughs> It is a crisis. The one, the one positive is whoever is quarterback uh, gets the chance to throw to Michael Mayer. At least we hope because look, we knew going into the season that Mayer is a stud. Um, he's one of the few guys in the roster that who's actually exceeded expectations this year. There's a few other guys like Fossey that you mentioned, but Mayer really stands out. Cincinnati clearly has really good players on their defense, and yet nobody was able to cover Mayer all game. He finished with eight catches for 93 yards, and he wasn't even close to 100 percent. After the game, he revealed in the press no. conference. He was limping the whole game. <laughs> on the fourth down, it, like fourth and five, under four minutes left in the game, Notre Dame is clinging to any last bit of hope they had to try to cut into that 11-point deficit. Mayer hobbles to the line of scrimmage. It's fourth and five. Everyone knows where the ball is going. He's got one-on-one with the safety. Somehow is able to run a perfect out route that buckled Cincy safety Brian Cook, catches the ball, ahead of the sticks, and then just starts, like, limping, hobbling. It, it looked gross. He goes out of bounds and, and had to be taken out of the game. And when he had to speak with reporters after the game, he's pissed, which he, he should be. Like, and you want that from your best player after a loss like that. He's only a sophomore, but he's clearly a leader on this offense, and that bodes well for the future. And as long as he's healthy, I mean, he's got to be getting at least 10 targets a game. I don't even care if they double him anymore. Like, it just has to happen. Yeah, what's with the Cincinnati team and like also having a bunch of names of random former basketball players? Like Brian Cook played basketball for Illinois on that really good team. They had Kobe Bryant at corner too, and spelled differently. Um, I don't know, but yeah, you're right. He's a stud. I mean, I like I said, I was right behind the bench, and he's just a warrior. He literally could not walk the entire game, yet he was still dominating. Unlike. Our guy, Kevin Austin, who could not get open against Sauce Gardner the entire game. So, I mean, the, the only time we got somebody open on the boundary side of the field was when they lined out Mayer out wide and he got open. Like, that that was it. It was it was truly remarkable. Yeah, I think we could start shifting to the bad now. So, Jameson, you can go with your first bad thing from the game. Yeah, uh, I know you'd, you'd like to talk about uh, the whole defense, so I'll focus more on the secondary specifically. It was just just miserable. I mean... Last week, picked off Graham Mertz four times, and uh, I, I think I understand that Desmond Ritter is, is much better than Graham Mertz, but I also don't think that he's the Heisman candidate that, that some people are hyping him up to be. I mean, Ritter looked fine, but it was just constant open receivers, especially on the big third downs when the defense had the chance to get off the field and, and really shift the momentum of the game. Um, really, like, Kepsi in like number six had to go find out that Clarence Lewis is, it was just bad, especially from him. And I think like you mentioned earlier, Luke, like Kyle Hamilton and Cam Hart are really the only people that are uh, forgivable in my mind, just, just given the performance and the body language on the sideline. I think that like, it was just a terrible display uh, from the secondary. And, and I mean, Ritter threw for 297 yards. I mean, uh, 300 yards is not, something that we should be giving up uh, maybe for the whole game and, and especially not just in the passing game. So that was what I was most disappointed with. Um, I think that uh, they 
they obviously were given a lot of advantages through field position, but I think that the the secondary was just just unacceptably bad um, and just not in a place where it can be going forward for the rest of the season. Yeah, it was interesting because at one point Ritter was like seven of seventeen for forty yards. Yeah, started off real slow on their first six drives. Like since he had like sixty one total yards, and yet they're up ten nothing. Um, on the rewatch, I realized Houston Griffith had a really bad game. Uh, like, and he's kind of invisible because he doesn't make any good plays, but he made some bad plays in that game. Um, and even, I mean, even Hamilton, he whiffed on a ball that should have been picked. And we just had Griffith getting bullied by this white kid from Glen Allen for 144 yards. And I don't know how that happens. Uh, the Pierce guy, like, I was like, why do I know this name? And I looked, his brother is Justin Pierce, who played basketball at North Carolina after transferring from William and Mary. And so I'm just like, we're getting owned by a bunch of kids from the suburbs of Chicago. And that should never happen when we have who we have on our defense. Um, But I think the thing with Ritter just overall is like, they gave him too many chances. Like he was not good to start the game. And then he heated up and like, you know, he made a couple really nice deep balls. I thought Mike Denbrock actually called a hell of a game, got JD Bertrand into single coverage multiple times. And they really exploited that, but they just, and a lot of that goes to where I want to go with now because the reason they got so many chances is because the way our first half shook out offensively. Uh, I tweeted this during the game. That was the worst half I've seen in Notre Dame Stadium since the 2009 Navy game. In that game, we trailed 14 to nothing at half, and that was an offense that had Jimmy Clausen, Kyle Rudolph, Golden Tate, Theo Riddick, and Michael Floyd. And in that game, we had three turnovers. I, I tried to find the last game we were shut out in Notre Dame Stadium in the first half. I thought it was this game. Then I realized... It was actually the South Florida game in 2011. And uh, there are some parallels to that game because drive down the field, throw a pick, yada, yada, yada. Uh, I actually was hoping we threw that pick that we were on the other side of the ACC championship game for once when Hamilton picked off Lawrence. But obviously that didn't quite happen. Um, but it's it just like it was a baffling offensive performance. I don't know what we were trying to do. We go down 70 yards on that first drive and actually look great getting Mayer involved. They even had that huge pickup on fourth down to Mayer for 20 yards, and that was a great ball by Cone. But that pick he threw was just absolutely indefensible on second and goal. Like, you can't do that as a fifth-year senior. And after that, we just did nothing the rest of the half. Cone looks sapped of confidence, and the Buckner package clearly is not working. You know what he's going to do. I, I don't know why they put him in positions not to succeed. Um, and, and just overall, I felt like offensively it was a complete and abject failure. Uh, and that's why we were down 17 nothing. The other thing I want to touch on here, whoever runs the music in the stadium did an absolutely terrible job <laughs> Saturday. I have no idea what they were doing, but it was horrible. <laughs> they're they, like, first off, whatever this third down song they play is now, where it sounds like a little child's voice saying, I tried to warn you, it's creepy and like not, it doesn't get the crowd hyped up. I'd rather listen to Crazy Train again. Like, it, it's bad. Um, what else? Oh, they're playing Taylor Swift in the fourth quarter when we're down 10 points. That was great. Um, and I think the band knew the results of the video that they showed up because obviously they queued it up right away. And then, you know, when we leave the stadium, uh, they're playing Dancing Queen. So Cincinnati fan, fans can dance all over our graves. Like, just what the fuck are you doing? Like, I don't know who that guy is, but he should be fired yesterday. It was such a bad job. I was, I've never just seen such a bad in-game experience. So I kind of had to go there. They also got the, like the, oh, like with like 
like after our last turnover on downs, they started <laughs> yeah. playing that. So the Cincinnati fans are jumping around, yeah. and everyone is looking at each other like, "Please!" Oh, the music. oh, that was the other thing. They played jump around at halftime when we were down seventeen nothing. Like I thought they thought that joke would still play. Oh God! So yeah, whoever that was, I mean, ah, oh, jeez, I, I just can't believe how bad. Maybe the only person who played worse than Jack Cohn was the music guy. <laughs> I can't really add to that because I wasn't at the game, but I was seeing texts and tweets throughout. Uh, was it really that bad? It's almost surprising that we won 26 games in a row when we're actually handicapping ourselves during the game with this um, DJ in the press box. Yeah, the only good news is that we finally got rid of the Mark Edwards Elite commercial. Um, <laughs> didn't see that. But, yeah, it was it was bad. Um, I, I don't know. I have nothing good to say about there. They didn't play levels. I don't know what they were doing, but um, – Everybody's got to rewatch the tape on this one because nobody <laughs> played well. I will say the well the the whoever was on was playing the music there struggled. The band uh, at times when the Cincinnati fans got yes loud, they did a good job opportunistically playing uh, over them, which was great. I would agree that was that was a positive. All right, there we go. So shout out to the band. Um, back to the game. I think that one thing for me is like first. Let me say, don't get me wrong. The defense gave Notre Dame a chance to be in this game despite the offense's clear intent on giving it away. Uh, there's a difference between a really good and elite defense, and elite defense makes stops when you absolutely need them, and Notre Dame's defense just wasn't able to do that in this one. The breakdown before half was alarming, um, allowing Cincinnati to go right down the field and score. Right after Braden Lindsey cut the lead to 17-13, that was just disheartening. And like you said, Mike Dembrock, give credit to him. I'm sure this game meant a lot to him. He called a really good game. Um, and it showed, especially on these two drives. I'm not sure since he was even dead set, though, on trying to score a touchdown before the half. But Notre Dame goes into the prevent defense, basically gives them 20 to 30 yards. And now Cincinnati has a realistic chance to score a touchdown. They're able to take advantage on that Kyle Hamilton play where he gets beat deep. But I think if that was actually a well-thrown ball, he's able to make a play on it. But instead, it's disgustingly overthrown. So Kyle kind of over-pursues doesn't get around in time and um and then since he's able to score then in the second half when Notre Dame absolutely needed to stop most they have all the momentum the defense just couldn't deliver uh J.D. Bertrand had a really rough series on that it was pointed out a lot I actually remember in the Wisconsin game seeing him get split out wide one-on-one with a running back or wide receiver I remember thinking if Wisconsin actually had a competent quarterback who could take advantage of this, we'd be screwed. And then I'm sure Denbrock saw that and was like licking his chops because, okay, they actually have the guys to take advantage of that. They did. Again, the defense was able to keep the score closer than it probably should have been, and they are certainly not anywhere near Notre Dame's biggest issue right now. But when the game was on the line and Notre Dame needed the most, they weren't able to deliver. And not only that, but two of their best players weren't able to make plays when they needed to. I just thought um, it was a little bit disappointing. But again, not the worst problem that Notre Dame has right now. Yeah, and it's a good point because I I talked about the sustainability of J.D. Bertrand performing at the level he did. I don't know what his final stats were. At one point, he did lead the team again in tackles on Saturday. But like, that's a play where like you need Marist. Marist can be in coverage. Like he can make those plays. And I like I just I brought that up a couple weeks ago. I don't know how sustainable this is for Notre Dame to keep relying on JD Bertrand. And you saw it a couple times on Saturday where he just it's not his strength. Um and and it showed. But you're right. There are there are other issues at play. I just think the biggest thing is for a while we were saying this team was allergic to going up two scores and the defense wouldn't get stops and they needed in that sense. 
And on Saturday, we saw it come through in that they uh, just couldn't keep us there, even though they did for most of the game. Like, I don't want to make it seem like they, yeah, they, you know, play because they, Cincinnati really couldn't run the ball at all. Um, but it, it was, it was a disappointing performance in that sense. I agree. All right. Now let's uh, shift it to the ugly. James, can you go first? All right. Um, yeah, I just thought the coaching staff was just uh, – it was just an utter disappointment. Um, obviously, it's a lot more evident when you're, you're on the field and you're around it, but there was just no energy on the Notre Dame sideline. I'm sure you can talk to that as well. And just the game plan itself seemed to be, like, offensively completely ineffective in the first half. We didn't put any points on the board. Um, and, but the most noticeable thing um, for me was just that the Cincinnati staff um, and the players just seemed to want it so much more. I mean, obviously, there's – I mean, both BK and and Marcus Freeman now uh, have, have previously coached it in Cincinnati. So I don't think there was any secret that they were going to get up for this game. Um, and it just did not seem like like we got up to meet that challenge. Um, uh, from what I've been able to see uh, through my few years here, it just seems like BK doesn't really get his teams up for those big games. I mean, honestly, like we'll raise our playing level, but it doesn't ever seem like uh, the intensity's there. I mean, we took the major punch like right at the beginning of the second quarter when they they put the the points on the board and then we turned the ball over again and and we just never punched back. It was just once again just disappointing to watch and 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 I think the the problems are are just rife throughout the coaching staff. I think that um, backing up the the win to make you the most winningest coach in Notre Dame history with a, a top ten win would have been. Um, a huge step in the right direction for Kelly, like uh, erasing his his um, reputation as not being able to win the game, big game. But once again, it just didn't seem like they, they came to play. Um, there was a couple of tweets over the weekend, kind of in the same vein that just like being the wingest coach in Notre Dame history doesn't really mean much if you can't win any of the big ones. And I think that that's the classic argument against BK and it it's ringing true again right now. So um Unfortunately, this was kind of uh, our, our biggest game of the year. Look, looking forward at the schedule, a lot of those teams have, have fallen off the face of the earth. So uh, this was this was the big chance to really make a statement and make that push towards the playoff this year. Um, and I, I think we kind of just completely missed out on that chance and and the, the sideline was dead the whole time. So that was disappointing to see. Um, I don't I don't think this is any um, uh, like condemnation of BK obviously he's been a great coach and he's done amazing things for the program but it's just frustrating to have to deal with the noise every year when when we do lose these big games and and it just doesn't seem that um that the team is ready for it so uh, I think that that's maybe a little bit of a culture change that needs to happen I don't think there's any reason to hit the panic button on BK or the season for that matter but I think that um it's been just such a historical trend at this point that and maybe this should be BK's last contract. I think that there needs to be a bit of a shift there. And I think maybe that's Freeman, maybe that's someone else, but um, just time and time again, the, the team just doesn't seem to get up for these big games. And that was very disappointing. Yeah. You know, I guess I'll say for me, the way I'm looking at this is it's just a loss unbecoming of what we've come to know about this program in the last four or so years. I mean, we knew this team in particular had flaws. It was clearly a house of cards, no matter how much I try to talk myself into thinking otherwise. We made compounding mistakes, two terrible picks, players not put in positions to succeed. Um, I mean, Tyree fumbling that kickoff and the ball bouncing 20 yards into the boundary, of course it did, but I, I do get that play. 
The offense is stagnant. He's trying to make something happen after he changed the game last week, and instead he just takes his eyes off the ball, and it's it's ten nothing. What's what's surprising to me is you know you br- you bring up all those points about the big games. <sighs> Cincinnati did not play well. I don't think they're very good still. I really don't. And when that has happened in the past, it's been on the road. I mean, we won twenty six straight at home for a reason. We beat the goddamn number one team in the country at home last year. I don't care if Trevor Lawrence played or not. Um, and so it was just very unbecoming of what we've done since BK 2.0 at home. And that was really disappointing to me. And I mean, I really thought Cincinnati played poorly for 90% of the first half. And instead, then they warm up. We're out coached. There's no doubt about that. I, I thought it was one of Reese's worst called games he's had to date. I don't really know what they were trying to do with the RPO with Jack Cohn in the game, considering he hasn't kept once this year. But it was really frustrating, and now we're left to lick our wounds after losing to a group of five team. Um, we were outcoached. It was humiliating, and I know Brian Kelly did not want to lose to his former employer, and I'm, I'm pretty shocked that that happened still, to be honest with you. And their trolling on social media was absolutely pathetic. I hope they do make the playoff and lose by 80 to Alabama. I absolutely despise Cincinnati. Just wanted to throw that out there. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. It was just It's not what I become accustomed to. And it's a little bit concerning because we we had seen that in some weird spots the last four years. You know, Miami 2017 comes to mind. That Michigan monsoon game, of course, comes to mind. But other than that, like Notre Dame really only lost games to Alabama and Clemson and, you know, Georgia. Uh, They don't lose to Cincinnati, but they did. And, you know, the sky isn't falling after one loss. You could be Ed Ogeron, who's eight and seven since winning the national championship. But there's a lot of questions that need to be answered. I don't know what we're going to see out of this team in, in Blacksburg on Saturday, but hey, you know, at least as somebody reminded me on Saturday, all my positive thoughts about this team were in text. It's not like I talked a bunch of shit on a podcast or anything like that. <laughs> so uh, at least I don't have anything to worry about myself. <laughs> yeah, now who would do that? That's the thing, though, like going back to Jameson's point about Notre Dame not being able to get up in big games. I think that is part of what made the Clemson game so special last year, the home game I'm talking about, because Notre Dame came out and on the first play of the game, punched him in the mouth and kept punching uh, throughout the first half. And then were able to withstand the punches in the second half and come out on top. And you thought that that trend could continue. Then again, they just lost and kind of got their asses beat by a better team in the ACC championship in the playoff. But then again, that's Clemson, Alabama, two perennial powerhouses. That shouldn't happen against Cincinnati. And, no. and losing at home is always going to suck, always. And away teams, like I said, are always going to have a strong presence in the crowd because Notre Dame is Notre Dame. Um, and they're going to come out in droves to watch your team play. But I just couldn't get over how, like you guys mentioned before, the body language of the players, that was so frustrating. And when Notre Dame took these punches, they just didn't punch back, giving up that first touchdown and then the fumble. But the perfect microcosm of the whole game really was that Kevin Austin drop because that was truly the dagger in Notre Dame's back and look Sauce Gardner shot him down all game that press man Austin couldn't even get off the line of scrimmage and he's our number one receiver and then Sauce was letting him know after every single play he was also drawing with Kyron I mean he was just dominating this game then finally Austin has a chance to make a huge play. He's wide open in the middle of the field on a third down, and he just dropped it. And then he looked like a sad puppy going back to the line. That's that's inexcusable, but it wasn't really surprising given how the flow of the game went. Cincinnati talked all week. They backed it up. They were talking shit from the, the coin toss on, and then they celebrated and danced on Notre Dame's grave. And I think that was the most humiliating part of it all. Like when Notre Dame 
gets beat down by Alabama, okay, it makes sense. It's Alabama. And when they get beat by Clemson in the ACC championship in the second game of the season, like I can get that too. It's hard to beat a good team twice in, this, in, the, in the same season. But when Cincinnati just outplays you and they don't even play their best and they do it at Notre Dame, I think we're going to learn a lot about this team this week because they took a real shot um, in the mouth and they didn't really respond on Saturday, but they'll have another chance to do it this weekend. So I think that's a good segue into what's the future of this Notre Dame team because obviously the season isn't over. There's still plenty of football left to play. So I guess, Jameson, we'll go to you here. How do you picture the rest of the season playing out? Yeah, I think it's easy to be to be very down after the home loss. Obviously, it's, it's not a good feeling um, and hopefully something that we're not feeling for at least another 26 games after this one. But um, I think it's very much possible for the team to run the table. I mean, uh, USC, uh, both Virginia Tech and USC are very winnable games. UNC is not nearly what anyone expected them to be coming into the year. And then I think from there on out, it's Navy, Virginia, and Georgia Tech. I think mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of winnable games left on the table here. I think, honestly, it would be um, very – um, surprising if we weren't to win out. I think that, I guess I shouldn't say that. It would be disappointing if we didn't win out, but I think that um, if we don't sort some things out, that's going to be a very difficult, uh, a very difficult thing to accomplish. So I think ultimately, like it's possible to finish the regular season 11 1 and, and make a big bowl game. I think that's the ideal scenario. Um, like Luke, uh, obviously, you want to make the playoff every year, but I think that. Um, now that we've lost, it's very easy to admit that this team was just not ready for that. Um, I think that, unfortunately, a Bama or Georgia matchup in the in the first round could have been a, like a five touchdown loss. Honestly, like the, those teams are just so much better um, than than the current Notre Dame team that we're putting on the field. But um, I think that this gives us a unique opportunity to finish the season on a high note. A lot like we've had great seasons in the past couple of years, and then they end with a tough, uh, a tough, honestly, big loss in the playoffs. So. Um, I think we can go out on a high note this year. Um, but I also think that um, we need to take the rest of the year to be um, to, to shift the focus slightly to 2022. That has to be a priority um, in the minds of the coaching staff, because I think this is a team that can and probably should make the playoff next year, um, which kind of reinforces the idea that I just don't think Cohen should play because he's not going to be here next year. Um, I, I think that both Pine and Buckner um, could be the starters next year. And I think that, Honestly, both of them give us a better opportunity to win now as well. So I think that the the focus should be on making sure that those guys uh, improve um, because I think that we are good enough to beat the teams on our schedule, but it also presents an opportunity to get those guys the reps that they need um, so that we can really set ourselves up for success next season. It's interesting as you say that and Woj, as, as you kind of discuss what you thought was ugly from the game, you know, the, the one word that comes to mind, what happened Saturday, Notre Dame got punked. They got punked. I mean, by Cincinnati, who they should beat 10 times out of 10. They should. And I've heard people say Cincinnati's better than Notre Dame right now. That's true, but they never should be. I mean, Notre Dame has way more talent than them, and Cincinnati talks shit to them all week, and they punked Notre Dame, and their fans punked us. And leaving that stadium, seeing Cincinnati waving the flag on the field, their fans chanting, leaving the stadium, I had flashbacks to like mid 2000s, late 2000s Notre Dame, like a Michigan State game or a Boston College game. That's not supposed to happen anymore, and it did, which is really bothersome. I know people will say Cincinnati's a top five team. They're not a top five team. I don't care what anybody tells you. So that was bothersome. But but what I see as the future, I don't know. Um, I think there's two ways this team could go. 
What worries me is I think it could go the way of 2014, which was where we had a disastrous November and lost every game after we lost to Florida State besides the Navy game. I could see this team kind of folding like that. And, I mean, shit, if Notre Dame just kind of throws in the towel and says Buckner's the starter here, and not that that's throwing in the towel necessarily, but what's who's stopping Kyle Hamilton or Kyron Williams from saying I'm done? Like, just opt out. I, I don't know. I, I don't think they're those type of guys, but I, I couldn't really blame them. So, I don't know. Um, but the other way I think this could go is, like, 2019. And as you recall, in 2019, Notre Dame got their pants pulled down by Michigan and then struggled through the Virginia Tech game the next week. Struggled. I mean, they should have been up big half, but a weird yeah. turnover. And then Ian Book shushes his own fans. And then the rest of the season, Notre Dame was absolute ass kickers. They won every game by like 30 points. So I don't know if that's in order because they don't have a Chase Claypool and they don't have an Ian Book or Jeremiah Wusu koromoa But listen, maybe they can use this as a rallying call. Go into Blacksburg, kick the shit out of them, and then just go on a run. I, I don't know if that's something that's within this team, but it could be. And if it is... Great, but like it, I'm very interested to see how they respond. Uh, obviously, losing is always disappointing, and it's never fun. But it does give us a unique opportunity here to see how this team responds, and and maybe that could be super entertaining coming out of this. But yeah, I, I don't know. I think there's two clear paths here. They both kind of scare me. Um, well, no, actually, one really scares me. The other excites me. But we'll we'll see which one we go down. Yeah, I would just push back a little bit on the 2014 comp, just because. That season went off the rails in large part due to injuries, which could Man, happen we have to a this lot team, injuries. which is true. I was just about to say, like, this team has already suffered a lot of injuries, and, and they could be, like, two away from this thing really going off the rails. But for now, um, I'm still pretty optimistic about this group because I think, uh, Luke, you and I before, like, maybe before the game were in over our head homers, but I think we're able to process losses a little bit more because they happen. Like, losing is always disappointing, but the season is far from being a disappointment. And let's be honest, like, Notre Dame has lost a game, at least one, in every single season of our lifetimes, and I wouldn't consider every season a disappointment. I know we say national championship or bust, and that should always be the goal at Notre Dame. I'm not saying it's not. Um, But I think any rational fan realized pretty early on in this season that this team wasn't capable of winning a national championship. The loss was coming. Ideally, it would have been in the playoff, but it didn't happen. Um, I just really think there's a lot Notre Dame can still accomplish this season. There's already been a lot of chaos in college football. Hell, Florida lost to Kentucky at Kentucky for the first time in like 36 years on Saturday. Oregon lost to a Stanford team that everyone thought had given up after week two. And I'm not saying Notre Dame is going to make the playoff because they're not. But Notre Dame can still assert itself as a top team this year win a major bowl game, and carry a lot of momentum into next season with a lot of guys coming back because, Jameson, like you said, that's a, that's a team, and you look at the talent that's coming back, that we realistically think could compete for a national championship. But most importantly, maybe even more than wins and losses, like even if this team were to lose one or two more games, we just have to see development in the main areas of weakness. The offensive line and the quarterback especially because now – the two guys who we presume will be playing quarterback are going to be around and could be around for a while and are going to be leading that team next year. And the offensive line, like, figure it out, man. <laughs> I mean, I know we lose Patterson and we lose Madden, but obviously losing Patterson is a big blow. Didn't Madden get benched on Saturday? Yeah, he did. It's about and time. Yeah, so, look, if those areas improve and Notre Dame finishes, you know, 12-1 and one, or hell, even 11-2 and two maybe if they win a big bowl game. I'll be pretty satisfied with the season and be excited as hell for next year. But 
if the line continues to play at the level it has and we see no improvement and the quarterback situation continues to flounder, and then I could see it starting to drop maybe two or even three more games, and then somehow that eight-and-a-half over-under pick uh, before the season. <laughs> I don't really want to bring it up because I know that uh, that's a touchy subject for this group, but I'm with you. It could go one or two ways. I'm pretty optimistic. It is, I think, a positive omen that we play Virginia Tech this weekend because it's the similarities between the Michigan game in 2019 and then after that game we sort of started the beginning of an, I think it was an 18-game win streak, I believe, or something like that. Um, but we're going to learn a lot about this Notre Dame football team on Saturday. Um, and I think this Saturday will be a, a pretty good indicator of how the rest of the season is going to go. Yeah, I agree. Um, still got to decide if I want to go or not. So we'll, we'll figure that out. But um, I do want to say, I don't think I mentioned Kyron as one of the guys who had good body language. He did. He certainly did. And I will say one of my favorite plays in that game was on when Zero on Cincinnati, who was talking the entire game, blitzed, and Kyron absolutely obliterated him in the air and then put his elbow straight into his face mask and talked to him on the ground because you need at least one guy on your team that still does that, and we still have him. So thank you, 23. Anyways, just want to throw that out there. Yeah, just to really quick touch on that last point, like, as you guys have mentioned, it was after every play that Cincinnati was saying something and ultimately com- uh, culminated in that Ritter touchdown run right in front of the student section he gets through the back of the end zone and puts his hand behind his ear, asking, asking the crowd, like, if, like, why he can't hear them, which just completely backed up the, all the shit that he was talking earlier in the week when, when he said he was going to silence the crowd. And I'm standing right there by the band. And that was just a, a horrible moment that between that and hearing their fans chanting while we're singing the alma mater just made it. An yeah, that was brutal. But I think that, I mean, there was, I mean, Cincinnati had the picture of like the little dude pissing on the Notre Dame logo in their locker room. I hope somebody puts up that picture of Ritter in the Notre Dame locker room. And I hope that that just lights a fire under this team. I think part of the reason maybe I like Cohen, or I'm sorry, that I like Pine so much as opposed to Cohen is because I think he has that fire a little bit, whereas Cohen is just stoic and quiet. Um, so I think that, I think that it's an opportunity to just piss off the team. Um, and I, I hope that that's what they take it as, uh, because I think that's ultimately the only way that we get to that 12 and one, 11 and two big bowl game win. But, uh, yeah, that was, that was a tough, a tough moment, uh, to witness. And I hope that, um, I hope that the coaching staff proves me wrong and, and really uses that as a way to get the team going for the rest of the season. Yeah, the team is going to have a real good opportunity to come together this weekend going into a hostile environment against a team like this is, you know, this is their Super Bowl too. This is going to be Virginia Tech's biggest game of the season. Um, it's going to be at night. I think they're doing the stripe thing in the crowd. While we're on this topic, um, and before we go, I do want to mention that our game preview podcast will be a little bit different this week as well. Um, if you're not familiar with the Sons of Saturday brand or, or how we really got started here, um, there is a Virginia Tech Sons of Saturday they are actually the originals, and we joined about a year after they got their start. And we're going to be doing a crossover podcast with them um, later this week. I think we're going to release the same show on both of our platforms, so keep an eye out for that. Um, we'll also keep you updated on everything via our social media accounts, um, which you can find on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, at Sons of Sat Irish. But um, Instagram and Facebook are down and maybe permanently down. It's been a tough week for Mark Zuckerberg. I don't know who you'd rather be, Mark Zuckerberg, the stadium DJ, or Jack Cohn. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we'll see. But before we go, do you guys got any final thoughts on this one? Nope. Beat Virginia Tech. <laughs> yeah, let's let's forget about this one and move on. Hopefully that's the only home loss I see in my time here. That, let's yeah, hope so. Absolutely. 
All right. Well, that'll do it for this episode of Sons of Saturday Irish. Until then, for Jameson, Luke, and myself, thank you for listening, and uh, we'll be back with you guys soon. Bye.